Well, my name is Joshua, as Jesse mentioned earlier, and I am very happy to be with you guys this morning and uh, excited to be joining you uh, very soon. Um, my family as well is excited to come here and minister among you guys and get to know you. Uh, my son Jasper is two and a half years old, and he's very excited to come and live near the beach, which he's never seen before, but he loves sharks. And he says he's going to go to the beach and the sharks will bite him. And I don't think he understands the full picture of what a shark is at this stage of life. But we are so excited to come here and, um, and get to know you guys and share our lives with you as you share your lives with us. So thank you for calling me and calling my family to be here with you. Um, I also acknowledge that um, I'm coming to speak here this morning at a time that is full of confusion and anxiety and um, fear over these tragedies that have happened in the past six weeks. And so um, I just want to acknowledge that and, and say thank you for letting me speak into that. And, um, and I, can't, uh, I can only imagine what some of you are going through um, as you try to live out your faith uh, and, and put your hope in Christ in the midst of um, these terrible tragedies. And so we have already prayed and we have already lamented these things, and these, um, these tragedies are a reminder that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. And sometimes the godliest thing we can do in our world is lament. And so today we're looking at Romans 8, as it has already been read, um, and it's a passage that's talking about how God is our Father. And so I hope that today we get to hear um, that we're not alone, and we're not left, uh, we're not abandoned, we're not orphans, but we have a good Father who loves us, and we get to live as sons and daughters. So let me pray as we go to God's Word. Father, we thank you that you have not left us alone, but you have spoken to us, you have revealed yourself to us, and Lord, I pray for my friends who are here today that are displaced, that are in need, that are grieving Lord, we lament, we acknowledge that this is not the way it's supposed to be, and so Lord, we ask that you come and come quickly and bring your kingdom. And in the meantime, Lord, give us faith and give us hope. Um, comfort those who are mourning today and rescue those who are in need. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, one of the greatest privileges I have as a pastor is I get to hear people's stories. And with that, um, I get to hear a lot of laments and a lot of tragedy. And one of the things I hear um, when I talk to people, um, one of the greatest places of lament and places of tragedy is within our families. And so as we go to God's Word and God tells us that He is a Father and He's a good Father, I understand that this is hard for us to believe. Because many of us did not have good fathers that showed us um, who God is or showed us something about Him. Um, and so as I hear people's stories, I hear stories of abuse, and stories of abandonment, stories of neglect, and stories of absent fathers or passive fathers. And I even have a friend who uh, lost his father and his mother at a young age. He was raised in a group home in the Bronx. And before he became a Christian, he said, I don't understand how Christians can talk about God as a father. I don't understand that. I don't have a father. And I could see, um, 
I could see the, the wheels turning in his mind when he found out that God reveals himself not just as father, but as one who loves the orphans and is the father to the fatherless. So even those, those who have good fathers, those who've had bad fathers, those who've had imperfect broken fathers, those who've had no fathers, um, this message is for us. And yet, um, what I've heard over and over from people uh, in a moment of honesty is, it's hard for me to understand God as my father. If he's like my father, I don't know if I want anything to do with him. So this is hard for us to hear, but we need to hear it. And if we can hear this and understand this, then we can live like sons and daughters of God, our Father. And so we're going to look at three points today, if you take notes. Um, The goal here is that we would see God as a Father, that we'd see that He's a good Father. We would see Him fathering us, and as we do that, we'll be able to live out um, our adoption as sons and daughters of God. And so the three points we're going to look at is that the good Father chooses us, the good Father listens to us, and the good Father takes care of us. So let's look at that first point. He chooses us. Uh, In verse 14, Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Now, I think a lot of times we miss that God is our Father. We pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven. We even talk about the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but it's easy for us to miss that God is our Father and He has chosen us to be His children. Um, He could have said, I am primarily your king and you are my subjects. He could have said, I'm primarily your boss and you are my employees, or I'm your teacher and you're my students, but primarily He says, I'm your Father and you are my children. And I think sometimes we understand this in a theological way. We get that um, adoption means we're no longer enemies of God. We're no longer alienated from Him, but we're brought into His family, and He gives us grace. And in the Roman world, the, the view of adoption was very similar to ours, but it was different in some ways. But I think it illustrates this even more clearly, because in the Roman world, um, Adoption was usually performed not uh, as an infant. The way we think of adoption a lot of times is that you go to the hospital or you go uh, adopt a child at a young age and bring them into your family and raise them as your own. But in the Roman world, adoption was often um, done as an adult, as an older um, person would look for an heir to receive their, um, their estate and they would find an adult and adopt that adult into their family. And at that time in the Roman world, Adoption was applied uh, immediately so that the inheritance, whatever belonged to the father, immediately belonged to the son who was adopted. And so in many ways, it's similar to our view of adoption, but we see that, that in the Roman world, it's um, the father already knew everything about the son. And so when we see that we are adopted into Christ's family, as we, we have God as our father, I think we can see it in a theological way, but there's also a personal way. There's a relational way. And this is what I want us to understand. Um, When we are adopted, no one chooses, no adopted child chooses their parents. You don't, there's no such thing as a surprise adoption. There may be a surprise pregnancy that you didn't know was coming, but there's no surprise adoption. And what that means is that God has actively chosen us. That means that he desires us and wants to be our father. 
And so when we see it that we're adopted, it means that, that this is not a passive thing. This is a personal thing where God chooses us and makes us his child. And it's not something that, that he does blindly. He knows who we are. He knows everything we've done. And yet he chooses to make us his child. And with that, we get the status of being the children of God. We get a new name and a new identity. And what that means is that when we look in the mirror and we see our fears, we see our failures, we see all the mistakes that we've made, we don't have to be defined by those things, but we can be defined by being a child of God. That the Father wanted us. He wanted to bring us into his family. And so I think sometimes we understand that from a head level, but we don't understand it with our hearts. Maybe you've said this before. I know I've said this. I know that God loves me, but I don't feel like God loves me. So how do we get it from our heads to our hearts? Well, I think God understands that. And the good news is he actually tells us in this passage how we do that. He says, um, we can go on to point two, he listens to us. In verse 15, he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And so what he tells us is that it's, it's natural for us to fall back into the spirit of slavery and fear. He expects that. And he tells us instead what we should do is to cry, Abba, Father. We should cry out to him. And so I think it's our tendency sometimes to live as orphans. I have a friend who um, recently adopted a, a child from China. And uh, when he brought her into her home, it was hard for her to attach to him. She had been used to living in an orphanage. And so she um, would hoard food. And when, when, they gave, when they came time to, f- to feed them in the orphanage, they would often give them a sugary kind of smoothie. And so she would eat as much as she could. So when she came into my friend's home, she didn't know it was going to be different. And so she would get fed and she would hoard the food. And she would hide. She wouldn't go near the parents. And I think sometimes we do the same thing. We've lived lives as orphans. We know what it's like to, to live in the spirit of fear. We know what it's like to live alone. And you know what? Our culture likes orphans. You know, think about when I mention the word orphan, what stories come to mind? You think of Little Orphan Annie, Oliver Twist, Harry Potter, Bruce Wayne, dare I say Luke Skywalker for the Star Wars fans. We've got a lot of narratives of orphans, but why does our culture like orphans? I think it's because orphans take care of themselves and they don't ask for much. And so our culture says, yeah, don't expect anyone to take care of you. Take care of yourselves. And our natural tendency is to disbelieve that God is our Father and to reject that and to live as an orphan, to fall back into the spirit of slavery and fear. And God knows that, and he says, here's what I want you to know. My adoption of you is not just a status thing. It's not just a legal thing. I desired you. I chose to bring you into my family, and now that you're in my family, I'm going to listen to you. That's what my my friend wants his daughter to understand. You don't have to live like an orphan anymore. You get to live like a daughter in my house. I don't just bring you in here and call you my daughter. I actually want to know you. I want you to come near to me. 
You know, I think sometimes as orphans, we hear this very passage, and I, and I could have preached the sermon this way. I could have said, okay, God is our Father, so we need to live out our identity in Him, and we need to pray to Him, and we need to trust Him more. And those things are true, and those are certainly points that I hope we all take away from this passage. But what I want us to see is the heart of the Father. If we see His heart, I think we will do those things. We will run to Him. We will trust Him. We will talk to Him. And so as orphans, we hear, you have the spirit of adoption, so you need to cry out, Abba, Father, more. You need to do better. You need to do it more often. You know, especially at the beginning of the year, we think, 2018, this is going to be the year that I pray more. But how do we pray more? Do we do it out of duty and obligation? If we, if we look at ourselves, we certainly will. And we may fall back into a spirit of fear. But if we look at the Father's heart, and we see that God wants to listen to us, He is a good Father who loves to hear from His children. Doesn't that make you want to pray more? Doesn't that motivate you to cry out, Abba, Father, more than simple obligation and duty? This is what I want us to understand. I don't want us to miss this, that God is a good father that listens to his children. If we get that, then we will cry out, Abba, Father, because we pray not to earn God's favor. We pray to enjoy God's favor. We pray to talk to our father. And he's a good father. He's not like the father that picks up the phone and guilt trips you and talks about himself. He's the father that says, I am so glad you called. I've been wanting to hear from you. You know, if, um, if you've ever been in a position, you know, where maybe it was just very weak, when you're confronted with something, you've got a lot on your mind, what do you do? You look for a friend to call or family. Maybe, maybe you actually do have a great relationship with your father and you call your father but do you know what it feels like when, you, um, when you've got so much on your mind and you call someone, you get to unload all that, and someone listens to you? You know how good it feels to be listened to? That's what this passage is telling us. It's telling us that God listens to us. The Lord of the universe gives us his attention. He's not too busy for us. He wants to hear us bring our concerns to him, our laments to him, our doubts, our fears, and he will receive us as his children, and he'll listen to us. My son, I already mentioned Jasper, he, I mentioned he's two and a half, so he's very moody, um, and he, he has that sort of like push-pull thing that toddlers have, and there, there are very many days when I come home and I open the door, and he hears me coming in, and I walk through the door, and he says, go away. I'm like, okay, that, you know, I'm glad my identity is not in my two-year-old. Um, but there are days when I come to the door, and he can hear my keys rattling. And before the door is open, I can hear his feet, you know, running to the door. Daddy's home. And you know what that does for me? I love that. I love that. I love to pick him up and daddy's home. Do you realize that, that God does that for you when you pray? He lo- it's like you're running to the door to meet him. He loves it. He chose you. He wants to be in a relationship with you, and he listens to you when you pray. 
And I think if we understand that, we will start to let him father us. I think we will find our identity in him, and I think we will talk to him more. We will share our lives with him more. We will live life with God instead of apart from God. But I think also that, that Paul wants us to know something else because he tells us to cry out, Abba, Father. Now, you may have noticed that when we read it. We sang it earlier. Um, and most of the time, I, I've heard people say something like this, Abba, Father, is, is an Aramaic word, and it is. Paul is writing in, in Greek, but he switches to Aramaic for this one word, Abba. And maybe, maybe you've heard someone say, well, that is, is like the word dada that a toddler like my son would use. And I've looked at some um, people who are smarter than me, who are scholars of Aramaic, and they said, well, that's true because that's just the word for father. And there's certainly passages in Scripture that tell us to, to run to God like a toddler or to even find our nourishment from him um, as an infant. But in this passage, I don't think that Abba just means dada. I think it just means father like they would have used in Aramaic, whether you're two, year old, two years old or 40 years old. So why then would Paul switch and just give us a different language? Why would he switch from Greek to Aramaic to tell us how to address God? Well, I'll tell you, I, I don't know. That's, that's my, my answer is I don't know. But I wonder if part of the reason he switches to Aramaic to tell us to call God Abba Father is because Aramaic was the language of Jesus. And I think what he's telling us to do here is that because he goes on in this next verse and points us to Christ, but I think by using the word that Jesus used, he's reminding us that we have access to the Father that Jesus had. Because Jesus says, I and the Father are one, and I want you to be one with us. And he brings us into the relationship with the Father. So I think maybe that Paul is pointing us to Jesus. He's pointing us to the one who taught us to pray our Father in heaven. And in this next verse, and in this next point, I think he makes that even more clear. And so if we really want to live like children of God, yes, we have to see that he chooses us. Yes, we have to see that he's a good father that listens to his children. But we also get to see in this passage that he's a good father that cares for us. Let me read verse 16 again. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I think what Paul is telling us here is he's pointing us to Christ. He's saying Christ, Jesus, is the Son of the Father. He knows the Father. And just as Jesus is the heir of of the Father and has the inheritance of the Father, so too will you have the inheritance of the Father. He's telling us the Father actually cares for you. And isn't that what we need to hear? When we're in trouble, when we're doubting, when we're afraid, when the mudslides are coming down the hill, don't we need to know that God will care for his children? That God will care for every need. He will fulfill every need and every desire that we have in this world or in his kingdom to come. 
He will care for us and give us what we need. He will not abandon us. He will not leave us alone. He will not demand that we care for ourselves. He says, no, you're my son. You're my daughter. I will give you everything that you need. I have an inheritance for you, and it's called the kingdom of God. And in that kingdom, there will be no more mudslides. There will be no more um, displaced people. There will be no poverty or pain or death or sin or divorce or depression or anxiety. This is the inheritance that I want to give to you, a world made new, a kingdom. And you get that inheritance because Christ has paid for it. He has suffered. And when you suffer with him, you will also be glorified with him and his kingdom. He's saying there are no second-class children in his family. We get to share in the inheritance that Christ, the only begotten of Son, receives. I think if we, if we believed that, we would live with peace and confidence no matter what comes our way. Yes, we would cry out and lament. Yes, we would mourn the losses, but we would have an unshakable peace and an unshakable confidence that we will be taken care of. Maybe you think, um, maybe you've lived life thinking, okay, I know God has adopted me and I'm his child, but maybe someday he's going to eventually run out of grace and he's going to stop loving me and maybe he's, he's going to stop tolerating me. And if I sin one too many times, maybe he will even unadopt me, take me back to the orphanage. But this passage reminds us, no, what, Christ, what, what God has began in us, he will finish and he says, it's not over. I chose you in the past. Yes, I'm listening to you in the present. But there's a future inheritance that you have. My care for you goes on into the future. I'm going to care for you tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. So he's not going to unadopt us. He's not going to leave us and take us back to the orphanage. And I think if we believe that, we would see that, that our adoption and our Eternal destiny is written in stone. It's written in the blood of Jesus. And not only that, we have the Holy Spirit, Paul tells us, helping us to believe this, giving us the spirit of, the, of adoption. I think it would change the way we lived if we could believe this. Now, if you've ever seen the show Parenthood, um, has anybody watched that show? Um, if you've seen it, it's, it's basically the show of how one human family endures every suffering and drama that is possible um, <laughs> under the sun. And uh, my wife loved that show, and so I would watch it with her from time to time. And in the show, um, there is a couple that adopts a young boy named Victor. And he is adopted at about nine years old. Um, and after the adoption, he, uh, he's, he's been with the family for a while. They have, he has a younger sister who's a natural-born sister. And in this one episode, he gets in a fight, and he gets mad, and he throws a bat, and it almost hits his sister. And in the aftermath of that, she says, everything used to be good before you moved in. And since you moved in, everything's harder now. And we're not as happy as we used to be. And so this young boy, Victor, um, starts to feel like maybe he's the reason why everything is wrong in the family. And his father, his adopted father, gave him a cell phone as a gift. And so he takes it back to the father. And he says, 
of sliding back into the spirit of slavery and fear, thinking that he has to earn his keep and the family. He says, here, take this cell phone back. I don't want it anymore. He says, you can have it. If you take it, will everything be okay again? If you take this gift back, will, will it pay the penalty that, for all the things that I've done that's made your life uncomfortable? You know what his father says? He says, hey, let's get one thing straight here. You didn't just move in to my family. You became my son. And there's nothing you can do to change that. There's nothing you can do to undo that. You didn't move in. You were my son, and I will always be your father. If NBC can write a script with a father that good, how much greater is our heavenly father? And we do the same thing, don't we? We think, if I could just earn, if I could just make God happy some other way, some other way than grace, then maybe I would be able to live just in his household, just in a corner where I didn't cause too much trouble. Maybe I'll get away with just just living there. But God says, no, I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. I adopted you so that we could be in a relationship, and I'm going to take care of you. And all that I have is yours, and I give to you the inheritance of the kingdom of God. And maybe you're thinking today, all that sounds great, but, but is it really there? Or is Joshua just telling us that he's good? And to that I say, Paul is pointing us to Christ, and I will point us to Christ. On the, in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus, who knows the Father better than anyone because he is one with the Father, puts it this way. He says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much greater is the love of God? If NBC can write a script of a good father, how much greater is the love of our Heavenly Father? If I love it when my son runs to the door to welcome me home, how much greater does the Father love us when we come and approach Him in prayer? If we who are sinful can give good gifts to our children, how much greater will God provide for our every need in the kingdom to come? So the question for us today is, will we let God father us? Will we call him Abba? Will we see that he's chosen to be in relationship with us? In spite of our fear, will we run to him in prayer? Will we trust that he'll care for us? Will we run to him and be in relationship with him as children of the Father? I'll end with this. My, uh, I already mentioned one story with, of my son. I won't, uh, I won't use too many, I promise. But he is really cute and he's two years old. Um, since, since he was, almost since he was born, one of the things that, that we have done together is we've danced together. And um, he loves to dance. 
And you know, this passage points us to the Trinity, doesn't it? That we call out through the, through the Spirit, we get to say, Abba, Father, through the work of Christ. And one of the ways that C.S. Lewis has defined the Trinity is he said that, that in all eternity, he calls it the dance of God. The Trinity has been living in perfect harmony. And so um, there are times when I'm taking care of my son and he's kind of going crazy because he's two and I think, okay, I know what I need to do. I need to turn on some music. We're going to dance. I turn on the music and he runs up and he says, dance, dance, dance. He wants to dance. So my question for us today is, will you dance with the dance of God? Will you run to him and live with him and trust him and cry out to him because he wants to dance with you. He wants to listen to you. He wants to care for you. And his care for you cannot be taken away. It cannot be undone. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we give you thanks that in spite of our sin and our alienation and our rebellion, you have made sinners your children. And Lord, we um, have a hard time believing this because of the ways that we sin and the ways that we have been sinned against. And so, Lord, we need your Spirit. We need the help to cry out to you. And Lord, I pray that you father us. Hear our prayers. Remind us of your goodness and the hope that we have in you. And in the midst of whatever suffering or anxiety we're in today, Lord, I pray that you will comfort us with the Holy Spirit and invite us um, to live with you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand together and sing. How deep.